Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Everyone has a bright light inside of them that deserves to be seen by the world. That's why it's time to shine the light on the extraordinary who are accomplishing phenomenal things. This is the Shine Out Loud show with Lillian Ogbogo. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever in the world you are, and welcome to another episode of the Shine Out Loud Show with me, Lillian Abogo. Now, before we start with our phenomenal, multifaceted guests, I want to say that welcome to Mental Health Week. Now, this is a week where we need to be checking in, not just with friends and family via social media, but actually going old school and picking up the phone. And, you know, let's touch base with people. Let's find out what's going on. Let's be the friend that we want others to be to us this week and moving beyond the week. Let's keep each other in mind and keep holding a space for each other's ability to have the conversations about their well-being. Start that conversation about how are you doing and don't accept that fine when you know something doesn't feel fine. So we're going to start the show and I have a guest that when I posted about her today, it to me was it was something because I am enthralled by this woman. She is and does so many things. She is a Nigerian British poet, playwright, performer, educator and lawyer. This woman does it all. I am talking about Tolu Agbelusi, and she has been shortlisted for the 2018 White Review Poetry Prize. She's been published nationally and internationally, and her brand new play, Ilelawa, is currently on tour. For those who don't know what that is, it means and translates into English, we are home. So join me and welcome my incredible guest. Hi, Tolu. Hi, thanks for having me. You're so welcome. I, like I said, I'm just fascinated. So I want to jump right in and, and find out about your story. So let's, let's, let's look at you. You are a poet. You are Uh a playwright. You are a performer, facilitator, and performance maker. I'm going to come back to that word, (laughs) (laughs) but you're also a lawyer. So I'm going to ask you the obligatory question. What drew you to law as a career? Um, 
I'd like to say there was some big guiding light, but not quite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at the point where people were choosing what they wanted to go and study at university, I had I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to study. I'd been in in the UK for two years at that point, and um, I didn't think I wanted to be a teacher. My dad's an architect. I hadn't done the subjects that were, you know assist me in doing that. I wanted to be a doctor, but science is not my strong point, so that could be a problem. Um, although I thought I could just learn how to cut people, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do it quite well. But anyway, uh, so I started to think, well, I'm good with language. I think I'm good with arguing when I'm ready. I like law shows, you know, <laughs> that might be the thing. I, and and it, it was no more than that. <laughs> So I, I chose to study law for that. But I think for me, the decision, whether it's law or the type of things I gravitate to as a poet or the type of projects I get involved with, it's more about purpose mm. than about the thing. I, I feel like I I gravitate towards things where I am... where I am holding people's pain. Mm. And uh, releasing it somehow. I don't know how to explain that better, but but if I look, if I if I try and hover above the things that I do, a lot of the things that I do professionally, that's what it feels like to me. Um, actually, that makes sense because looking at your professional background, when I was doing my research, you have a lot of advocacy for youth offenders as a volunteer. And so I can I can see that totally makes sense. Yeah, so I used to I'm trying to remember what that oh yes, I used to do it was like a volunteer thing for for the council where you sit on, on youth panels and with young people who have community orders or whatever and, and trying to decide what they do during their orders. So that mm-hmm. that I did that for a, I think a couple of years. Um so not so much advocacy on that front, but involved somehow, <laughs> I guess, trying to figure out how they got to where they got to and and, and what could make things better okay. uh, going forward. But yeah, okay. but more in the type of law I do now is I started with family law and then when I was in the Caribbean, I, I did a bit of everything, but a lot of criminal Um and family and civil, but here I now work with the civil liberties firm. Okay. So I do, I, I do a lot of, we, we do a lot of inquests. We do a lot of actions against the police, uh, unlawful detentions, but a lot of those cases you're dealing with damaged people or right. people who have been through, um, some kind of serious crisis and you're having to look as though you're affected, but you're not affected. <laughs> <laughs> by the things that you're hearing. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, you know, you interview people all day and, and then you go home and you just have to sleep because it's taking it out emotionally and you're wondering why you're that tired. And then it hits you the next day that, oh, it's that, I don't know, historic sexual abuse thing that I was doing for the last eight hours <laughs> that has screwed up my mind. Yeah. But yeah. I can, I can, I, yeah, I cannot even imagine how that on a daily basis, what will do to your psyche and how you manage to 
does that let me let me rephrase the question I was about to ask does that in terms of your work does that translate to what you create in terms of your poetry yes yes um not always intentionally um in the sense so the play for example which we'll talk about in a bit I guess yes uh when we were going through it last year um because I haven't I had a new director last year we were going through it at some point during the rewrite and the rehearsal process, one of the actors said, there's a lot of death here. And I was like, no, there isn't. And then we kind of looked at it and I was like, oh, well, <laughs> I, I I hadn't, I know I wrote it, but I hadn't cut it, <laughs> you know? And in a way that, that comes, that's because I deal with death a lot at work. Mm-hmm. And so I guess this is an outlet but in in another way, um, some of those things that I see that I can't really express things about at work have made it into the play. Um, in my poetry, you know, there there are definitely things that I see at work that make it in, and not just to do with law. There's some some poems about when I when I was teaching, and, and some of the things that I saw that shocked me, or well, things that I see that that give me joy. Life makes it into my work. So whatever I come into contact with, whether it's directly or because of something I watched on TV that moved me or something that's happening with a friend. So nothing is off limits. Okay. So how does a lawyer fall into the world of theater? Well, <laughs> uh, I guess I don't know. It's all language, no? So I, I don't like to think about it. And I've had this conversation um in some facet or form before and for me I always say it's the same thing I'm telling stories I I always say I'm a storyteller poet Mm -hmm. and plays are just an extension of that um so at the at the at the outset I think maybe it was around 2013 I was like I'm interested in writing longer pieces of work and I got involved with um uh, an initiative that Apples and Snakes used to run called Words of Stage, where you had, I think it was about a month, uh, some mentoring, and you kind of put a story together, which was supposed to be about 20, 25 minutes long, and you presented it to an audience. So I did that. So that was my first piece of longer work. Okay. And then 2015 would have been the second time. So... Stratford Theatorial or Theatorial Stratford East, sorry, were doing something called uh, Home Theatre. Mm-hmm. And it was their second season of Home Theatre. And it's this thing that was imported from Brazil uh, that Marcos Fascini does in Brazil, where he takes the theatre into people's homes. Oh. Um, and I think he the story behind it is that he got so disillusioned with with doing huge commercial type theater and he wanted to bring it back to the people and make stories of the people and so he was doing it in favelas and in in lots of places that nobody expected him to be doing theater and um so this thing came to Stratford and the, and people pitched to have uh plays in their homes and this was so that in 30 homes on the same night at the same time 30 plays happened around London oh, and wow. I think a few outside London and it was different kinds of houses. So you had your flats, 
you had nursing homes, you had mansions, you, you know, just different people. And we had a week, one of the most intense weeks of my life. <laughs> um, looking back, you had a week. And during that week, you met your host and you had to write something that suited your host. Because if you had children, you couldn't obviously be doing adult themes and swearing. So you had to meet them and write something that suited them. Mm -hmm. And then you had a few days to learn it off and figure out how you were going to devise it. And then performing at their house to an audience of their guests. So I had about 30 guests um, in their house that night. And I had about two days to learn this thing, which is about half an hour long. And it was a lot, but it was good. And I guess that gave me a bit of a confidence that I can do this, mm -hmm. which you would have thought would make it easier when it came to writing this play. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it didn't. This play is part of this play. By this play, I mean Ililawa is part of a bigger project called mm -hmm. uh, The Homeless Project. Yes. And it was always in my mind to write a play as part of that, but a play that infused poetry because the, the whole project is about infusing uh, collaborating poetry with other types of art forms, but making sure that poetry still had a still had a good footing. It wasn't the the shadow in the background, and there was a balance between whatever it came um, into contact with. So, on the art level, that was the idea for for the play. And so, I I interviewed people, I workshopped people, I, I, and when I got the characters together, I workshopped poets um and i would i'd already drawn links between all the characters but then I, I would throw scenarios up for each character and we would workshop it together what do you think they're wearing what would they do if that happened okay and then so, i just kind of drew things together from all of that so when you when you talk about workshopping what exactly do you mean um i had different kinds of workshops so i had workshops with young people for example in, in manchester over a month and I, I i i did one of the sessions i was there for all of them but i brought in poets from london so kat francois you know edwards yomi shodi um to to run a poetry workshop with these young people exploring the themes of home and displacement yes. so that things that were popping up from there in terms of what people were saying uh i was making notes and and as, as to what I would like to focus on later. Yes. And then there was another kind of workshop, which is workshops that I did with poets who were uh, the core poets, I guess. And that those people changed a, a number of times on the project, but the core poets. So I, I would bring a theme, for example, home is conflict. Around that time, things were going on in this country, but very much in the States, they were, the, the, you had that spate of young black boys getting killed. Yes. Um, so we had a lot to talk about with regards to that. So we will come, we will have discussions. And then I will say, this is the theme, write about blah. Or I think the very first session, we talked about home, what it is, uh, my ideas for the project, um, what displacement is. And then in the end, I, I think I gave a, a task that people should write about their first, the first place that felt like home that wasn't your childhood or original home. So all of those things were roads into trying to figure out what displacement is, mm -hmm. what what home is, how do we arrive at our concepts of home? Okay. And then later on, when I knew what the, who the characters were, it was things like. Okay, you get stuff by you're this in this character, 
you get stopped by the police on your way to do blah, what is the first thing you say? Write a monologue of two minutes <laughs> saying whatever. Okay. So it was different levels of, of workshops. And then when it came to writing the play, I was I would look at some of those things for ideas. And in certain, um, for some of those things, I, I took some of those poems um, and chopped them up and, and fed them into the play. Okay. So I want to go back to the very beginning because when you talked about the, the that play that you had to do where it was part of the Stratford Home Project where uh-huh. you went into people's home, was this a one-person play? Was it, did you have to, you know, have, did you create a play that was a one-person or a multi-handed per, um, person play? No, it was a one-person play. So Ililawa is my first multi-handed um, play. That was a one-person thing. I was, I was voice in different characters, but it was just a one person thing. Okay. So I'm still fascinated because you have your legal career. You have now reinvented or in the process of reinvented yourself as performer, poet, facilitator, and performance maker. How do you mm. manage that process of reinvention? <laughs> <laughs> manage. I'm still trying to manage. <laughs> It. I'm still trying to find balance. I don't know what that is uh, yet. I don't know. I think you just do it. Mm. If you, at the end of the day, if if I spend too long thinking about how I'm going to get things done, they probably wouldn't get done because I always have too many things to do. Mm. Um. So I just kind of go ahead and I do it. I have ideas. I write them down somewhere <laughs> and then I, I I'm a list ticker <laughs> and so I take things off my list and every now and again I write things that feel like they're too big for me to do and what's what some of the steps are that would take for me to do that and on a particular day I, I would send out emails or do whatever those steps are it, knowing that the worst that can come back is somebody probably says no um but that's not going to kill me my herd <laughs> And and I just get things done, but there's no real balance, and I don't want to pretend necessarily that there is. I mean, I, I was at work today, for example, so I came in about 20 minutes before we started. Um, tomorrow, I'm not working, but I'm in Manchester because I have a course to do with uh, on this producer scheme that I'm on. Okay. So. Normally these days when I take time off work, I'm taking time off work because I'm rehearsing for the play or I'm teaching a workshop or I'm doing something in the other life. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, I'm fascinated by how in your bio you address the work that you do. So you say that your work address the unperformed self womanhood the art of living and everything i understood but i wanted to get a a clearer picture of what is the unperformed self right i mean there are all these things you're you're expected to do as a woman you're expected to i don't know wear heels put on makeup fix your eyebrows mine is plucking at the moment um (laughs) (laughs) you know but I'm not a heels person. I, I, I wear I wear nice high tops and I like them. 
<laughs> and if I really like you, I might wear some heels to your wedding. <laughs> you know, but, but that's not me. So there are these things. I mean, that's that's a flimsy example, but there are these things that we're expected to do, expected mm. to say, the ways where we're expected to show up for the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in what 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 happens and who we are when we're not trying to do what we're expected to do. Who we are when we're just being ourselves, right? Um, and all those things that happen every day, you know, you fart, you go to the toilet, you do whatever, and, and that's supposedly not, it's not the image you're supposed to, to present, although all of those things are human. I'm not saying you go and do all of those things in public, but those are things that happen, and they're funny moments and real moments around those things. So I'm interested in what happens then. And my my uh, my book project or my poetry project the first one coming out with jacaranda next year is about locating strong women and with that specifically i'm interested in stories about strength mm-hmm. and how women and girls strength manifests in quiet ways and by quiet i don't mean i don't mean that not that that whoever it was didn't make a fuss about it or that it wasn't loud but just that it's not what might normally be assumed to be strength. So there's a poem I have about a girl who is walking to the market with a um, telephone bomb in her purse. Right. And contemplating, it's based on the bag of massacres in uh, Nigeria. And she's contemplating um, how and why and I'm contemplating with her whether or not she knows it's a telephone bomb or whether or not she thinks it's uh, it's just a telephone with a pretty bag. Or did the people who gave it to her tell her, you either do this or your mother dies? And if she knows that, then the strength it takes for her to actually walk to that place, although it's a warped kind of strength because other people are going to have to die for you saving this other person. Mm. But, but I guess what I'm getting at is there are things we do to survive every day which show huge bravery and strength on our part, but which go unaccounted for to ourselves so that a lot of people who see themselves as weak, as not being enough, I feel like if we dug a little bit deeper in those moments when we feel not enough, we will see that we're capable of so much and that we have so much. And I'm interested in those things, those quiet strength things wow um yeah you know for me that's 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 fascinating and i think also what i we share about the show and what we what you do is the stories behind the stories yeah and you spoke about weddings and not wearing heels to weddings now that actually ties in with this question because i've also discover you create and perform wedding poetry i do <laughs> i do i i haven't done them in a while if you're listening and you want a bespoke poem holla we can talk about money um, <laughs> but uh no i i love doing wedding poems because it's always surprise i always surprise myself with what i come up with mm-hmm. but more importantly it's always fun 
because in terms of the process, I ask the couple questions, um, but I make I, I expect them to answer them separately and without checking with each other. Ooh. And I don't tell them what the other person said if they choose to. That's their business. Um, and then I create a story based on my imagination with uh, flex of the things that they have told me. And I ask them if there's stuff they want me to stay away from. And I try my best to stay away from <laughs> from it. Um, if it's really interesting, I'll figure out how to put it in without putting it in. <laughs> but um, no, I, I, and I, and for the ones I've done so far, they've been happy for me to surprise them as well. So they haven't heard it before the day. Oh, uh, they, they, they've not. <laughs> I know they trusted me, you know, <laughs> and so far it's worked out. Everyone's been happy, but no, I, cool. I I love doing them because because you. I mean, people know their own stories, but the whole point of poetry is is painting a different perspective, right? So mm-hmm. you come with this whole story and this little thing that somebody may have said, thinking it was nothing. You weave it into this other thing and then they start to look at themselves differently and and it's just it's beautiful to be part of people's days in that way Hmm. and i think it will just make it so unique and memorable that and they have something that is crafted for them in that in that way i can't imagine anything more beautiful yeah yeah no it's nice it's a nice experience too yeah so like I said, I I went and I did my research and I started looking up and you are a Kalaloo fellow. And mm. I just have to ask for everybody who's just heard me say that and they're looking at their laptop or phone going, what is a Kalaloo fellow? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, you know. <laughs> Kalaloo, Kalaloo does, Kalaloo's a, a literary journal. Okay. Based in the States. Uh and it's it, it supports the work of of black writers, um, and they've got a they've got an art edition, I guess, which is I think one edition a year out of the four or five is an art edition. But they also do workshops, so once a year they do one at Oxford University, one in the states, and one in Barbados. Right. And it's such, I mean, in terms of if I'm looking at things that have changed the way I write, the way I look at my writing, that is going to be, that is up there <laughs> in terms of pivotal moments in my career for me. Because it was just a week, um, but I met writers who all wrote differently for me, who are all brilliant. I formed a community that I'm still in touch with today. Mm-hmm. I learned things that made me see things where I had been looking before but seeing nothing. Um, so it's just, it's, it's, it's about, I guess it's just a community. It's a community of, of writing and writers. And it's been going for years, so. Okay. Yeah. So your work is very, I don't know, for anyone that has listened to your work and it has personally come back to you and told you but for me your work seems to be very the only way I can describe it is almost throat catching effect because you're almost gasping when you're listening to your work and I listen to you perform my mother says our relationship is official yeah question has your mother seen it seen you perform this (laughs) um has she seen me perform? i'm trying to think she's heard it 
I made sure she heard it before I performed it the first time because I was going to be performing it at the South Bank and I thought she was going to be there. So I thought right. she should hear it first. She wasn't in the end. Um, I can't remember if she's seen me. She's, I re- I can't remember. I can't, but the, the poem came out of a, of a discussion with her because she actually did tell me our, our relationship feels official and she, she wanted it to be better and, and I didn't really know what to do. But around that time I was working on a, mother daughter thing and I thought why don't we workshop this problem mom (laughs) (laughs) and for some weird reason she agreed um so I told her to write down without showing me um some some of the things that I say to her which she which I say nonchalantly but which hurt her right and then I will write down the meaning of what those things, or we can talk about what I actually mean when I say those things so that we can figure out where the distance is. This is what I say. This is what you take from it, but this is what I mean. And we would do the same things for the things that she tells me. Right. Um, and so that poem came out of me writing or thinking about some of the things that she says to me or she said to me over the years, which she's just said as though she's cutting bread. But <laughs> I, I, I've gotten the knife through me instead, you know. So, yeah, she 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 was quiet mm-hmm. when she listened to it the first time. And then when I got to the end and, and, and it says, I'm going to read it later. And she says, um, or the poem says, but we both speak different languages. She burst out laughing. And I thought, thank Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could have been worse. It, it it could have, yep. Because yep. I was, when I when I heard it, I was like looking around, going, "Hmm." I don't know if no, mom my, was... my, mom, my mom's been a good sport. If I my mom's not at first with my poetry, but my mom's been a really good sport recently, and I keep asking her questions because I think a lot of I I want to I want to gather the stories, you know, mm. and I feel like she has a lot to say that I can write about, but that I need to know. And it's going to the point where I I would ask her for stuff these days, and she'd be like, "You about to write about me again?" <laughs> and I would say, "Well, maybe. Just wait one second. Let me put my um, iPhone on record, Mom. <laughs> then we can go, you know." But she she lets me, and I'm grateful to her for that. <laughs> uh okay. Uh, and I I think it's. It's it's interesting how parents change and you almost change them when you do these amazing things. And yes, and I'm looking forward to you performing this poem in a few moments. So speaking of your work, the one that really had me and I watched it, I think I've in the last two days, I've watched it about four different times. And each time I watch it, I actually call you names at the end of it because (laughs) (laughs) I actually call, I actually call you names at the end of it. Cause I was like, damn it. So I'm talking about wake up and that's your collaborative creation with HKB Finn and just jazz visuals. And you, you merge the, the, the poem over a film and Who did you intend to wake up with with those words? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is, I had a particular friend in mind when I wrote the poem. Mm. But 
as with anything I write, it's hardly ever about one person. Mm. Lots of people find their way into it in the end, so that there will be experiences from different people that I tapped into. And actually with that poem, the person I wrote it for heard it or wrote it about heard it and said, you know what, that sounds really similar to my relationship with X. Did I tell you that? She said some things that she hadn't told me, but I I was like, you really, you really don't know (laughs) that this is about you. (laughs) And then funnily enough, a different friend who it wasn't about asked me, is that about me? So that just goes to tell you. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm, you know, without wanting to pry into their business, I hope they woke up. Uh, Okay, we won't pry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think uh, that that was quite powerful, especially, and I really want people to see it rather than me spoil it. And spoiler alert, I'm going to have to, because the ending with the blood and then chicken and then it ends in a whole different way. What made you decide to go down that road? Because I was pot rooting for like yay even though you're going to end up in a jumpsuit but you know (laughs) (laughs) I can't take any credit for that um I did the poem I had some ideas about where the film should go and and in terms of where it shouldn't go I'm very vocal about what I don't want but the film part of things was very much um HKV Finn's idea um and he wanted to do something and I agreed with him on that, that that was different from the poem, so that the poem has its own life, but the film is also telling its own story, so that it's not just, I don't know, me standing up and saying a poem, but mm-hmm. an actual film uh, with, with with words that extend the meaning or with visuals that extend the meaning of the words. And so that was all his idea in terms of the whole chicken and the blood <laughs> thing <laughs> and, and the whole walking through... The, the lady walking through her whole life uh, with her eyes closed mm-hmm. as a metaphor for, you know, just being asleep through things. So I, I, I can't take any credit for that. That's all him. Okay. And that was very powerful visuals. And I think this is a great place to segue into you performing. My mm-hmm. mother says our relationship feels official. Okay. Uh, all right. Give me two seconds. My mother says our relationship feels official. Mom sits on my bed, locks our eyes. Our relationship feels official, she says. Laughter breaks a door open in my head. For all the times she has encouraged me to be another girl, the daughter she wanted. Smile more, speak louder, be less blunt, more open, less naive, mingle. Like the others. How do you expect to make friends, attract men, be liked, be? All the times she has looked at me and only seen what isn't. What did she expect? Laughter breaks a door open in my head. But my lips don't even tremor. Not until I see her struggling to speak. To understand what wrong she did when which of her words had bruised me at times when she pushed in for an embrace. Her mind tells her she loved me deeply, loves. My eyes remain steady until she takes my hands 
claps them together between her palms and asks for keys to a love that doesn't feel like duty. She's asking to learn. I want to forget the pain enough to say something that absolves us both. I don't know what to say. I am sorry that my love is not all limbs and giggles, that my smile is a giant Himalayan lily. I am sorry that I don't linger in crowded rooms, that my voice doesn't lend itself to high pitches, easy jokes, and a pheromone in lightness. But I made of the silences between conversations. Short phrases drop in timely and heavy, a hail of awkwardness that cracks into unexpected laughter. There are people who pull life from this, for whom I am enough. I love my mother. My mother loves me. We rarely speak the same language. That's it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. And I love this poem. It's honest and, yeah. It, and there is every daughter and mother relationship that can actually relate to this. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I have had people come up to me at different times when I have done that poem to say just that, like, oh my gosh, that's me and my mother, or I'm going through something with my mother right now. Where do I get that poem from? So I wrote it about, I wrote it because of something I was trying to figure out, but I'm glad that that it connects with people or that people connect with it. Hmm. Yep. Every mother and daughter at some point, this will be their reality. And so, yeah, I, I think your work, and there's something like I, I said um, off air before we started that there is, when you recite your poetry, there's almost a regal elegance to it. And for me, listening to you, I feel like I'm waiting for your in-between breaths just to hear what's coming next. And there's just power in your words. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, I was reading your interview you did in the stage. And you talk about your first job in theater taught you to feel the fear and do it anyway. And mm. you talk about something that is dear to my heart, which is the imposter syndrome. And mm. you said you were able to send it on a short vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to know, and for people who are listening, how did you send your imposter syndrome on a short vacation? And how do you keep sending it away so that you can accomplish the great things that you are doing? I think you just, I think you can't, you can't be, you can't be scared to take risks. You've got to, you've got to feel the fear and then tell it, okay, I see you. <laughs> I see you. You might be right, but what if, what, what if you're not, you know, is that whole, is that saying, what if I, what if I fall? No, what if, what if you fly? <laughs> that, that one. It's about just trying it anyway. And I find that the more I'm hard on myself, those who are close to me will, <laughs> will say that before I say it, I'm hard on myself. But in those moments when I manage to surprise myself, I gain a little bit, conf a little bit more confidence every time. Right. And that can't happen if I'm staying in my comfort zone. I have to do things that I have to do things that feel impossible. I have to f do things that I didn't think I knew how to do. I, I didn't know how to write a play, so I started messing around. Yes, but 
I, I, I thought maybe I'll go and take that course, but that was midway through having written the play. The, the course helped <laughs> for helping me shape things better and then going to read books. I, I don't just say, oh, I'm going to do this and, and then deliver a mediocre job. I, I also like things to be at a certain level of quality. Otherwise, I'm not going to bother. But in as much as I'm saying I'm going to throw myself out there, I also do the work that it requires for me to feel like I can attack whatever is coming my way. Right. So that when imposter syndrome comes, it will be there, but I'll still do the job. That's between me and my conscience. Nobody else needs to know that. <laughs> nobody else needs to know. And I, And if nobody else is going to know, then I have to be doing the job on a level of, whatever quality is um, around me. And at some point I need to be able to tell myself the imposter syndrome thing is just the imposter syndrome thing. It doesn't affect your work unless you let it. Mm. So yeah, I don't know. Challenge yourself. You can't, you can't be comfortable. Okay. Those Mm. are powerful words. And I, you know, for me, I, I know that there are a lot of people who sideline themselves before they even start. So mm. the fact that you have said, yes, it's there. Yes, I acknowledge. And you question its v- validity is just, is just, yeah, that, those are great points. Yeah. There's a, um, my brother um, runs this, this page on Insta called Live Your Quotes. And he posted something today, which is this, um, I don't know who did it originally, some kind of, chart in a circle Mm. and it starts from a tiny little circle that says comfort zone and then the bigger circle is fear zone and then the bigger one after that is the learning zone in which you deal with your challenges you get new skills and then the biggest one is your growth zone right but you have to break through from (laughs) from your comfort zone and then pass the fear to get to the learning to get to you know whatever the biggest thing is and i saw that today and i thought apt (laughs) very apt um so but i think that's it i i don't know i don't know that it goes away but i don't even think that it's good that fear should go away because if it goes away and you start to become overconfident then what's pushing you what's challenging you it's just about what the type of fear is and our reaction to it okay so that I, I don't I don't want it to be debilitating. If it comes, I, I can recognize it and check it, as opposed to just let it fester until I start trying to figure out what is this thing and why has it taken over me. I I want to I want to be able to be in control of that. However you do it, with me it's learning, it's God, it's you know all those all those things that 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 give me strength on the day to day. But not stopping, even when I feel like stopping. All right. Except for when I should stop, because rest is important. <laughs> yeah. We all need our rest and sleep and learn to relax and all that good yep. stuff. You've been nominated for a range of awards in the last few years from the Best British Writer of Color by Speaking Volumes in 2017. That wasn't an award. That That's more like a... It's a collection of writers that they, you know, just to tell the world that we're here. <laughs> you know, that Britain does have black writers. <laughs> like, hello, hi, yeah, we exist. Thank you very much. <laughs> but then you were also long listed for the inaugural Jerwood Com- 
Compton Poetry Fellowship as well in 2017. My question oh, well, here uh, is, do we still need awards to recognize artists of color? And you, I think you've just answered that question because, you know, you're saying that we still need to, people to know that in Britain, they are poets of color, writers of color. Yeah, and I, and I guess with everything, it's it's with everything, it's about in some respects, it depends on why you want it. Uh, and it's about milestones and stepping stones. So if you're a writer, it's not like somebody's giving you an exam <laughs> every whatever. And and the fact that you win some prize doesn't mean you're the best either. But it's recognition. And whatever we all say, we want recognition yeah. for our work. And in terms of where it is that you might be trying to get to as a writer or whatever else you're doing, the truth is those things add to your credentials which adds to your your um, asking power <laughs> when you're trying to negotiate fees. And some of those things come with large pots of money, which are useful for paying things like mortgages. Exactly. <laughs> so it is, it is important. And I, and I don't think awards should be um, your be-all and end-all. But insofar as it, it's something to achieve, um, and sometimes it's their goals. Sometimes their goals, and sometimes it, it's it's a paycheck. So I don't I don't castigate anybody who's going for awards. I submit to stuff all the time, right? And I and I think sometimes that's a discipline in itself. Um, and discipline is always welcome. I in my non writing life, um, although I haven't been going as much as I want to recently, I do I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And um, I compete, although I, I didn't compete at all last year. But when I think about why why do I even bother to compete or why does it bother me that I haven't competed last year and I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I must do it at least once this year. It's because it sh I know it sharpens me um, because I'm thinking differently. Mm -hmm. I'm more disciplined leading up to the thing. I'm more disciplined with what I eat because I need to make weight. I, I'm... I'm upset if I don't win, <laughs> you know, I'm upset <laughs> if I can't carry through what I learned. It's about, it's, it's all about the process. It's all about the process. So with awards for me, it's, it's also about the process, which is why if you don't get it, you should be able to, it, it shouldn't come, oh my gosh, I didn't get it, my life is over kind of thing. But are they important? Yeah, they are. It's nice to be recognized. <laughs> okay. So, Speaking of recognition, you've also gone ahead and you were a guest lecturer for Burke University. And mm. how did you go and how did that occur that you were actually guest lecturer to PhD students? They're actually PhD law students and I was facilitating. We, we, it, it, didn't, <laughs> it came about because I was doing, um, I run something called Conversations with My Sisters which is a forum for women and girls and men come to um, sometimes to just talk and share intergenerational stories. And I used to run something out of my uh, living room in Manchester called um, Living Room Sessions, but under the conversations with my sister's banner and I would cook and people would bring drinks and I would invite um, musicians and poets and it would basically just be a, an event in my living room and so I did a version of that without the the 
the musicians or the food <laughs> at the <laughs> South Bank Wow Festival. Right. And one of the ladies who came, she couldn't actually get in because he was oversubscribed, but she stood outside of the barrier and she waited and caught however much she could catch. And then she spoke to me afterwards and said, oh, she's a, she's a, she's from Burbank. She's doing her PhD and she's involved in, in the admin of certain things. And they like to bring people in to run different workshops to kind of spark different writing. Mm-hmm. And to get them thinking, and do I do stuff like that? So I said, yeah. At that point, I didn't know they they did law, and they didn't know I was a lawyer either. Um, so that just kind of happened, and we started talking about what we could do, and we came up with this thing of um, poetry as a protest to black letter law. Okay. And it was like a so I crafted this thing, which is like a, was it two or three um, session series. And it was and it was lovely in because of the different types of work that they were researching and the stuff that I brought and the fact that most of them or all of them but one I don't think any of them were poets but they kind of threw themselves into this thing um, and I was like I'm experimenting with you you're experimenting with me <laughs> you know we'll see how it goes but it was it, it was great I loved it and um, I think Alex Koenig was who 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 made that happen and I'm grateful to her and then this year. I've done a series of workshops and some other work with King's College London mm-hmm. um, through, I think Jane Peak made the introduction and, and then uh, we, we, that that's linked to the project. So talking about home, talking about, cause they had a season of home. Um, so doing exhibitions, doing workshops for students and outside people and some faculty members joined us. So it's been, it's been great. That's something I'm keen to develop in terms of working, working with universities. Yeah. And so here's my question and going into that, keeping in, in the theme of the facilitations and the workshops is, is poetry something that anyone could learn could anyone learn to write poetry or is it just for the gifted um i think anyone can write poetry and then once we get past that you you start to think about why you're writing and what your goals are if you're writing for you of course everybody can write poetry um if you have other goals you want to be an academic you want to teach this you then of course again in the same way as I couldn't do medicine because I couldn't do science <laughs> or, or until I could do science. There are things that you should learn. You know, you should read, you should learn. The inspiration takes you only so far, I think. And then you should learn things that sharpen that inspiration and, and can help you edit to a particular standard. But those are things you can learn. Hmm. You just need to be willing to. Okay. So going back to the play and we've talked around the play, we've talked about your inspiration for what drove you to write the play. What was the process going from written play to production? Uh, oh, um, we, I never applied for funding and it was clear that I obviously needed funding to get this play off the ground. Um, it was important, you know, it was talking about stories that were, were important. Brexit was coming, but it wasn't here yet. Uh, but the government had said go go home bands around the street. So this whole thing about how do you belong to a place that doesn't see you was around. And so I wanted to talk to people about that. So I think, mm-hmm. and then 
because it wasn't just a play, it was a play, it was exhibitions, it was workshops, it was interviewing people. And I'm like, how do I even get this? <laughs> how do I even get this uh, sorted? And initially I thought a few of us will be doing the interviews and it turned out to be just me and my camera doing some amateur shooting um, and learning how to edit and editing things myself <laughs> for for a lot of a lot of it. And I started going to exhibitions and checking who was funding what and supporting what. And then I contacted some of those people to see who, who would take a meeting with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the people I, I contacted was um, Counterpoint Arts. And I spoke to Tom Green and he agreed to sit down with me. And the, the meeting didn't, what I thought I was going to get wasn't what I got. But they supported my project since 2016 and they still supported my project. Um, so they, they linked me with some really important contacts. Um, he gave me advice in terms of applying for funding. At some point, they gave me a little a little donation towards the project as well. Uh, so there was that part of, of production. Applying for funding was difficult, but thankfully we've we've been able to get three grants on the project so far. Amazing. Um, yeah, and um, speaking to people and not being scared of getting shut down. Of you know. This is how. This is what I'm thinking of. Are you interested? No. Do you know somebody who's <laughs> who's interested? <laughs> Cold calling theaters. Um, I'm just seeing. I'm just seeing what came about. Some some people. I mean, you always say, "Oh, I made it this far alone," or I, "I did this by myself." The truth is, that's never real. Shirley May, for example, in Manchester, I know was a big help in me getting into contact theater for the first R and D of the show, and we had 200 people for that. Um, Rich Mix, I can't remember who told me who to contact at Rich Mix at that point, but whoever it was, I think it may have been Kat Francois, gave me the details and I called and we had the meeting and in my head I was like, this is how it's going to go and I negotiated, you know, for the deal that I wanted and it all worked out. So it was just about one step, (laughs) one step after another, after another, Mm -hmm. what do I need to make this happen? And I got, I work in that way, I draw patterns I I think, you know, if I'm at A, I, I think I like to think to at least T about all the possible eventualities and then figure out what to do, okay. <laughs> you know, to, to get there. And so I, I was just, I researched everything, every single thing, <laughs> including things that I, and I do that with law as well, including things that I didn't need, um, just to try and figure out how and what other people are doing. And do I need to do that or can I do it differently? Mm-hmm. And then from then on, it was just a, a, a matter of just one day after the other and fighting, try, trying not to fight fires uh, and be reactive all the time, trying to have some kind of plan as to where I was going, but then being ready to fight fires. And there have been quite a number. Um, but yeah. The production journey, I, I feel, has been by accident, but I have learned a whole lot, and I have done, I, I think I can say I've done a good job with it, and thankfully, in this last um, half of the project with the tour, I've had friend, I've had a friend, um, Emmanuel Uwosu, come on to assist me with production, and that has taken a big weight off my plate, because we're able to bounce things back against each other. Okay. And um, yeah, make sure you have people around you <laughs> who, who who want to champion you and, and 
and who 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 want to help promote your work. And that's actually powerful because you need you need the champions and you need people that will support you. And speaking of support, we're going to come to that point in the show where we talk about our so loud moment of the week. Tolu, what's your so loud moment? I have so many people in my head that I want to just big up. Um, Lionheart, <laughs> who, who 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 produces? He doesn't produce. Who is one of the the um, personalities on the scene on BBC radio. He's doing big things with poetry and architecture at the moment. And just for his journey, for his tenacity, for refusing to back down when people thought he couldn't. Yeah, maybe I'll just keep it to him. Lionheart. <laughs> Lionheart <laughs> is is this week's this week's um for so- me Shout out loud. And the next person, actually, no, just one other person, Jamelia Wisdom, okay. Bako. Um, she's a poet. She runs an organization called Writers and Scribes. And I've watched her journey as well um, for years. And the, the things she's done, she, she does workshops with schools and, and homeless shelters, and she writes and performs great work. And just what she's been able to achieve without the usual um, scaffolding <laughs> of support that some people have so much of to get to where they are. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by what she's done and what she keeps doing. So, yeah, those two for this okay. week. So to Lionheart and Jim Miller Wisdom, we're giving them a huge round of applause. Yay. <laughs> Okay, looking at everything you do, look, you do so much and you still have a day job. And with the play touring, how do you incorporate self-care into your life? Oh, I, I make sure I, I have friends who I can call at the drop of a hat when I need them. Um, to have to have useless conversations or to say, can you pray with me because this isn't working? Um, at the moment, that is self-care. And sleep. It was my birthday a couple of weeks ago and somebody said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to give myself a three-hour nap and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was what I did. Um, so sleep, fried plantain. Um, <laughs> okay, prayers. let me... Let me ask the important question. Green or yellow plantain? Because this is... Okay. okay. This is black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm suspicious about folks that eat green plantain. I just have to say it. <laughs> you know, I know it's healthy and everything, but... They can yeah. keep that. They can keep My it. My stomach won't let me do it. <laughs> they can keep it. But happy birth, happy belated birthday. And yeah, a three-hour nap sounds like a good way to spend a birthday. Yeah. I thought so. You know, it, it sounds like a really good way. Um, what do you want your legacy to be, Tulu? That was a huge question. <laughs> I try. I try. Um. You know what I've been thinking about that 
a lot recently, and I don't know that I have an answer. Whatever it is, whatever it ends up being, I want people to... <laughs> whatever it ends up being, I want... I want people to remember me as someone who... who helped... <sighs> Who who played a part in 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 helping people to realize their power? Mm-hmm. I, there, there's someone who I feel in my life who, in terms of my writing, gave me back my permission. I think is how I normally say it because it was always mine. But I, I there were all these blocks. But she gave me back the permission to to write how I wanted to write and to speak how I wanted to speak and feel like that was okay. And when I do stuff, for example, I run home sessions, uh, which is like a writing, a writing development thing for for black writers. Um, and in those sessions, for me, what is important is about giving people language, so that they can access the things that they want to access. And they probably, I'm, I'm probably not teaching them anything new, but I'm giving them the language for what they're doing that they didn't know was called X or Y, because then that opens up new worlds to them. And when somebody says you can't do this because you're, they can come back and say, Oh no, you didn't think I knew that this was that <laughs> or whatever. And and I, and I want that to be part of my legacy. This thing about giving people tools to navigate this world, helping people playing a part in, in helping people realize that they are more than, they are more than all those moments when they think they're not enough. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's got to be somewhere there. (laughs) That's a, that's a powerful legacy. You're giving people the language to express their truth, giving people the words. And like you said, you may not be teaching them something new. You're giving them the words to what is already exist in their head. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kind of opening opening up the door so that you can see, like, no, it wasn't some little thing that you did. This, you know, I, poetry has this weird thing of, not weird thing, but this brilliant thing when I'm geeking out over stuff where one poem can be just about two seconds, but it opens it up so much that you start to see things differently. And when I have conversations with people after performances of of poems, and it happens after the play sometimes, but specifically of poems or in workshops, there's always this thing about, oh my gosh, I I hadn't thought about it like that, or I've been trying to figure out how to get into that. And that helped. And there's an element of that that runs through my work of helping people to unpack things. Okay. Yeah. So... You know, we know you went from, you know, we, your story is lawyer and then poet, performer. Was there any point in the beginning of your journey to performer? Were you ever afraid of getting on stage? And if so, how did you overcome it? I was, but um, it's kind of like with the law thing. When I was, um, when I was a barrister uh, and, and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm about to get up and ask these questions and I don't know what to do. (laughs) those moments are are the moments when you you speak most confidently (laughs) because you're not going to let anybody else see that. And it was the same in terms of performing. Uh, I remember the first time I performed poetry, it was in a huge room that was packed. And I didn't think I remember, I would remember any of the words getting up on stage. 
I was trying to practice and all the words were going from me, but I got up on stage, shaken inside. <laughs> I performed, all the words came back. I was a bit stiff, but you know, I performed it like I knew what I was doing and I got off the stage and I thought, oh my gosh, that happened. <laughs> so I guess like with everything and, and, and in meetings, sometimes it still happens. I'm presenting an idea and somebody's telling me, we don't really want that. We, if you had something like this and I'm like, yeah, I do actually. And I start to make up a body for <laughs> for the seed of an idea that has barely formed in my head as though I know what I'm talking about. But I guess I, I, I learn, I research, I I try to, to prepare enough so that I'm ready. And with the nerves, you just use the nerves. I just get up and do it. And I, and I tell people when I'm in workshops, when we're doing performance stuff, that you kind of just... You, you just, I, I just think about it as I'm having a conversation with one person or with two people. All we're doing is having a conversation here. I'm not performing this huge thing. We're having a conversation. And most of my poems read that way. We're talking about my mom or somebody's mother who I'm pretending is mine right now. Or we're talking about this girl. Or it's just the conversation and it's easier that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And bottom line, you also say, feel the fear and do it anyway. Definitely. <laughs> All the time. So, question. What are you currently reading or what was the last book you read? Hmm. Uh, last book I read was uh, Brittany Brown's um, Daring to Be... Da- um, Daring Greatly. Ah. That's so she's got that. She's got that, yeah... She's, I read the. I watched the Netflix thing first, and I thought I got to read the book. <laughs> so I read the book. She's brilliant. I want to read more stuff. I must be the only person who hasn't seen this Netflix thing. So tonight Which, I have to watch this Netflix. Yeah, you thing. have to. You have to see the <laughs> Netflix thing. Yeah, I love Brene Brown, and I love her work, and I love her work around vulnerability. Mm, yeah. No, that's that was the last thing I read. Um, cool. Yeah. Okay. So here's my question. Where is Ilelawa for showing next? It is showing in two days. Really? um, Yeah, Stratham Space, um, Stratham Space Project. So London people come out, please. Um, I think it's uh, it's at 7.30 p.m. And it's on the Friday 17th and Saturday 18th of May. And I think those are going to be our last London performances ever. <laughs> so, yeah, do come. Okay. People, you heard that she's coming to St. Rethams. Come and see the play in St. Rethams. Stratham. <laughs> <laughs> I know the gender bias, but the place but Rethams. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like what she's saying. <laughs> no, seriously, they, they, somebody else say that before. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a group of people that call it St. Rethams and it's St. Rethams and Clam. Don't get me started. It's not my fault. I heard it, so I say it. <laughs> <laughs> How can people connect with you? Um, you can find me online, Insta, Twitter, Facebook, but I'm mostly on Insta and Twitter at T Agbalusi. Or Tolu Agbalusi. Okay. So my last question. In a movie of your life, who would you want to play you? 
my own Davis. <laughs> why not? If not, you know, might as well. Have, might as well have excellence up in this piece. <laughs> yeah, I love Viola Davis. I think she's she's a brilliant, brilliant actress, and all the production stuff she's coming out with recently. Mm. I'm 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 looking forward to catching. So yeah. Okay. That's not, that's actually a very solid choice, and yeah, and she can do those kind of dead stare down, and when you know? she's reading the, the 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 real hard poems, and you're like, woo, yeah, I can see, I can see Viola d- doing. That. And people are always talking about my my facial expressions. I don't think they're that deep, but <laughs> I, I said something to someone the other day, and, I, and so or somebody said something to me, and I said I'm not commenting on that. She goes, you don't have to. Your eyebrows did. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Taylor, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. It's been great talking yeah. to you. Same here. And thank you for performing for us. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about the work you're doing and seeing more of the work you're doing. And um, y- yes, thank you. Thank you. So- Bye, people. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, I have had the incredible writer, performer, playwright, lawyer. This is a woman who is multifaceted and the creator of Ilelawa, We Are Home. And I am talking about Tolu Agbelusi. If you have the opportunity, watch her play, listen to her poetry. And when her book is out in 2020, make sure the same passion you went after Michelle Obama's book, go after her book. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) So this, this is me signing off for this evening. And you know what to do. If you love the show, like the show, want to be on the show, reach out to us and let us know what you want to hear and see next. And we'll see you same place, same time next week. Bye. Hi. You've been listening to The Shine Out Loud Show. If you want to connect with us or let us know what you thought of today's show, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Shine Out Show. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job, it's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.